Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, therapy insights and the best Christmas characters. I think actually it's worse now than it was even a year ago that we're really seeing the fallout now. I think people are looking for a placeholder for their anger, and it has more to do with them being hurt. And so I have a tendency to turn to the people that are so angry and bitter and say, I, I'm so sorry for what you were hurt. I'm so sorry whoever hurt you that got you to a place that you hate them that much. Because that's the real issue. Our bodies are wired, are wired to put out fires, not to plant flowers. But where we need to go is we need to work. How do I intentionally build in things that are calm, pleasant, joyful to offset the hard things in life? And that's when life starts to feel like really good. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download subscribe share leave a review we really appreciate it. it really helps us out so we all know that we're dealing with difficult times there's a lot of people who are struggling with a lot of different things and there should be no shame or stigma attached to that in any way if somebody says that they need help our first guest is a dating and trauma counselor who specializes in dating and relationships anxiety, stress, and depression. And over the last few months, she has gained a large social media following by really giving people good advice, actionable advice that might change their lives. This is Lisa, who's best known by her account name, so my mom's a therapist. want to ask you this question first. How does somebody know when they need to go into therapy or when they should go and see a therapist? So if you are not functioning super well, you're having a hard time doing the things that you need to do to make life happen, eating, sleeping, relationships, showing up for your job, right? If you're feeling like you're just primal functioning is not working well, for sure, that's a yes. But a good portion of it is is just really navigating life. So I'll have people, too, who just want another set of eyes um, helping them navigate life, especially because I work with a lot of teenagers and 20-somethings just needing help needing help and needing direction. Or if you feel like you're not thriving in life, there's a difference between surviving and thriving. And if you feel like you're not thriving in life, that's another reason to, to reach out. Like, there's got to be more than this. It, this, is, this can't be it. So I'll use an example from my life, somebody who recently started going to therapy but it was such a gradual thing that they didn't really notice it until all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, like I need help. Like, how do you notice the thing you don't notice and know that you need to get help? Yeah, and you know, I think that's one of the, this is probably the one, probably one of the biggest questions I get asked is like, how do I get my husband to go to therapy? How do I get my child to go to therapy? And, and you can't force somebody. And that, that's the hard part is because until you are at a place where you're willing to or you're recognizing or you're able to take the steps to come in, it's pointless to get somebody there anyways. 
because I know what kind of work goes on in the room. And you kind of have to be in a place where you're ready to say, I'm aware of this. I see it. Okay, now I need to do something because honestly, it's hard work. It, it, it is hard work. So what you can do if you have people around you, you can just gently point things out. You know, I noticed I noticed you're having a hard time or, you know, I'm noticing this is not it's not working super well for you. Or if you're in a relationship with them saying, you know, this is not working well for me. And I know this isn't working well for you, but I, I'm not sure we can help ourselves here. And I use that we language, too. So it's not like I'm attacking somebody. Have you seen a difference kind of in the number of people and the concerns that people have coming to you? in the last couple of years, you know, everybody says the pandemic, it's such a difficult time, but are you seeing changes in people's behavior? Oh, I mean, it is a, it's a conversation daily with, with colleagues. I actually, I don't have anybody to refer to right now because everybody I would refer to has waiting lists. I have a waiting list. I, I'll take only really complicated cases at this point, And I work probably way more than I should because it, it is, I think actually it's worse now than it was even a year ago that we're really seeing the fallout now. And it's one of those things I, t- I think takes us a little bit to catch up with. Even people that felt like they were doing, like they liked COVID. Teenagers or 20-somethings were like, yay, their little social anxiety selves were like, woohoo, we get to go indoors. We don't have to be around people. And I would say, well, that, that works until it doesn't. Until all of a sudden now you have to go out and be around people again. And it's like a hundredfold. Um, so really seeing a lot of kids that are, are really struggling, really, really struggling. Um, usually out of my caseload, I'll have like one or two that are like suicidal. I now carry about five or six. So, and, and I know I'm not an anomaly. Um, so I think really taking a huge toll on people. We are, we are meant to be around people. We are tribal. We are, we are relational. And if we are not around people, physically around people, feeling energy, it greatly impacts our mental health. Greatly. I have some people in my life that have struggled with it, but then they've withdrawn so into themselves Mm -hmm. that they almost can't go back into the world. Mm -hmm. Like what advice would you give to somebody that's like, okay, how do I, how do I start dating again? How do I go to work and have to see people again? Like that's, I know that like that, that might not sound like a difficult thing, but I think for some people that really is. Oh, no, it really is. Oh, oh it, it really. And I think start, I, we need to start just validating it. And that's where I start with like, well, hold on. Like, this is hard. It is hard. Um, and I really give it like the space it needs to be like, this is really hard. And sometimes people will beat themselves up for it or they just avoid and don't want to deal with it. And I really just honor it to say that this is huge. This is really tough and this is hard work. And so what I'm looking for is when I'm working with somebody, let's look at the idea of getting back out into the world or dating again, since that happens to be happens to be the niche I fell into is a lot of dating and relationships is what I try to do is you just start small. So it's almost just like exposure therapy, put the sense of like, low, let's start low hanging fruit. Let's like something like when you check out, go see if you can go to target, see if you can find, find the most non-threatening person. Don't find the hot guy or the hot girl you'd want to talk to. If you're looking to date, go find like the little old man or woman who's checking you out at target, ask them how their day is just starting to very slow. Just do that. If, if you stress out or freak out, okay, don't go back again. You find another target, find another Starbucks, but below hanging fruit, just to try to get our body used to having a positive experience, but keeping it really small where they can have also a sense of accomplishment and like, okay, okay, I did that. And then building from building from there. Uh, but again, I, I think a lot of people too, they don't want to deal with it now. And so they're like, no, no, like I'm good. I mean, all you have to do is look all over TikTok to be like, I don't need anybody. I'm good all on my own. And, and I'm like, well, that again, that, that works until it does until you're, you're lonely and you're wanting a partner and wanting connection. Mm-hmm. That's what I always worry about with friends of mine. Like, okay, you've stayed in your house for two years, but you're 45 and single and you want to have children. Like, what are you going to do? 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's where I was like, there's only one road in. If I want to have a family or I want to have a partner, you, you got to go down that path. So at some point we got to figure that path out because there's not another, another route. And, you know, tell me if this is too much of a tangent off your question, but what I've often noticed is I, people, because of their anxiety, when it comes to that, they will, they'll swing in and out, you know, it, they'll swing. So it's like, I'm never dating. I'm not going out. I'm not dating anymore. I'm fine on my own. And then when they do decide to date, it's like they swing all in with, with very few muscles. Now, remember their muscles have atrophied because they've been at home for two years, haven't dated. And then they go to try to go back into the dating app world. And they're like, all right, I'm pulling up my sleeves. I'm going back in. And then it's like a shit show. And they're like, oh, like, like, this is horrible. This is it. I never want to do it again. So they swing back out. And again, it's, there's that like all, it's like the diet mentality. It's like, I'm either fully dieting or I'm fully like, you know, eating everything in sight. And what we're, what I encourage and what we're looking for is no, no, no. How how do we start to thread it in? We want a lifestyle. How do we create a lifestyle? Just like a lifestyle of eating a food. How do we create a healthy lifestyle of dating, which is how do I just dip a toe in and then come on out, you know, get, you get, build that muscle slowly over time so I can build an endurance. So I'm not swinging into this like all in or all out of dating. What are some of the other issues that you're usually seeing people are treating people for? You know, um, I, I would say a lot of a lot of depression, a lot of suicide, a lot of self-harm. Again, I'm working within a population of a lot of teenagers, um, a, a lot of anxiety, social anxiety, um, OCD, I'd say both of those. Um, and then a lot of academic issues from people who haven't had a lot of academic issues before because we lost the external value, validation in being in the classroom and getting all the attention from the teacher. And so a lot of people that really had been thriving up to this point are not 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 thriving. I may edit this question out because I want to ask you something, but then when I look back on it, it may sound like a really stupid comment. So I may edit this out, but like, have we lost any kind of a, a toughness Mm. at all? Like, have we become where everything is the end of the world? Yeah. Gosh, that is such a good question because there's so much, there's so much to say there. The minute I want to be able to say, yeah, we've lost that toughness. Part of me wants to be like, no, no, I, I've seen people with a high level of grit. I've seen people, I call it a high level of grit, which is that sense of, I don't look around. I don't look at that and be like, oh my gosh, that's a huge mountain. I have to, oh my gosh, I can't do anything about it. A grit is like, I don't look up at the mountain. I just put one foot in front of the other and I just do what I need to do. And once I get over the mountain and over to the other side, I look back and be like, holy cow, I can't believe I made it over that mountain. And I've seen that. And I see people with a high level of grit. Do I also see people that look at that mountain and have a tendency to look at the mountain and be like, I can't do anything. I can't. That's too big. This is actually not my problem. This is not about me. It's about that the mountain's too big, right? I can't do this. Do I see that as well? Yes. Do I see more of that in a younger generation than I've seen before? Yes. Yes. I I don't see as much grit However, does that mean that it's not here? No, I, I, there's always exceptions and you always see that. I would say though, and correct me if I'm wrong here too, right? Like you and I are both of an older generation and I feel like older generations always look at younger generations like, oh, they gone soft, mm-hmm. right? So there is kind of like, it's kids today. Yeah, so yeah. there's some of that too, you know? I, I, absolutely. But I also feel like there's an element here we need to take in consideration. And you tell me too, if this is too far off base, but that is given because of the, because of social media, because of internet, the, the main voices in our lives growing up were teachers, you know, coaches, 
parents, you know, whatever your local community was, those were the voices in our life. And now the younger generation, a lot of their voices, a lot of them, they fired their parents. And a lot of them, the voice, the main voices in their life are influencers, influencers who are, who, are, who are still trying to figure out the world themselves. So do I see them more overwhelmed or more kind of losing their way than previous generations? Yes, I do. I would say too, in kind of that conversation too, is like the gatekeeper isn't there anymore. Like the people that you and I used to grew up listening to, they were generally the experts in the field. And now it's kind of could be anybody with any kind of thing to say. Yeah. And if it resonates with that person, like I'm not a therapist, but I had a boyfriend once. Right. It's kind of well, or a girlfriend, the, right? Whatever. That's exactly how I ended up going on TikTok was five and a half months ago. I was looking over my daughter's shoulder. I wasn't on TikTok. But I was looking over my daughter's shoulder and it was a little sweet little 20 year old thing in spandex darling, but she was giving dating advice. And it was, by the way, the worst dating advice I'd ever heard. And I turned to my kids and I was like, what is this shit? And they were like, oh yeah, there's like tons of them on TikTok. And I was like, you're kidding me. And I'm like, yeah. And that's when I started getting on being like, I, okay, I got to give some sound advice here because this is, I would actually say to do the opposite of what this person suggest, suggested. And a lot of them actually breeding hate for men and hate for women. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to get us anywhere. I want to do something a little bit different than, than we have yeah. in other episodes. We usually get used, uh, we get a lot of kind of listener submitted questions, but I want to boil these down if I can into a kind of just broad topics and just what you think about them. Um, people who are having commitment issues. What would your advice be to them? Like, what should they do? Yeah, you know, I think if, if it's usually when it's commitment issues, it has to do with our it's it has to do with our survival mechanism. Our bodies are wired to protect us. You know, the whole goal of our brain and our body is to protect us and keep us safe and to prevent us from being hurt. So it it has more. I would my encouragement is if you have commitment issues, it has more to do with your survival mechanism in your body and your fear of getting hurt, fight or flight response. And so my encouragement would be, oh, how do you find someone like me, a therapist or a social worker to help you learn how to regulate your body. Because if you think that that's going to go away, that's not going to go away. Oh, if I just find the right person, this will go away. And then it's about how do I learn how to manage and regulate my body when it wants to run because it's scared. Imposter syndrome. So no, I'll, I'll speak on that one. So imposter syndrome is this sense of feeling like um, a fake, you know? So actually I I'll see, I'll see a therapist. I'll be a therapist to other therapists. And that's actually something that I'll often hear is them feeling like I'm an imposter. I'm acting like I have it all together and I don't, you see it in dating too. It's this sense of I'm putting this false person forward. That's like really not me at all. And feeling like I'm an imposter in my own life. Um, and again, that's where it's really that sense of how do I get back to, well, who, who really am I? How do I, how do I tend to myself? I, I love saying this on my videos, but you spend more time in your body and with your thoughts than anybody else on this planet. You spend more time with your, with yourself and your own thoughts than anybody else, even your spouse on this planet. How do we, how do we start to make that the relationship we work on the most? How do I start to actually not just tolerate myself, but, but like who I am and believe it or not, that's the best way to tend to that imposter syndrome is to start to, who, who am I? And how do I, how do I tend to this relationship with myself? This person just says, why do I always date the wrong men? And I think we can, we can supplant men with women or whatever, right? Yeah. Right. You know, I would say a good 
a good hunch on that one I usually go with is that there's something with that that's familiar. We gravitate towards what's familiar, not necessarily what's best for us, but what our body knows. So we will often gravitate towards something our body knows, even if it wasn't something we liked, like how our parents were or how a past relationship when we were young was. But ultimately, one of the questions I get asked that goes along with this is like, why do I always attract the right guys? And I'm like, well, it's not about whether you attract the right guys or the right gals. It's about how do I learn how to communicate? How do I learn to get to know somebody? And how do I learn how to set boundaries so whether you like me or not it doesn't matter if you're a good guy or a good you know or a bad guy i'm learning how to set boundaries so i'm picking somebody that's a good fit for me um you know look i'll be honest about my family life and that we have dealt with this in which not getting into the politics of it let's let's stay away from that but like there are big divide sometimes in families and we have been separated from family members who have gone down certain roads but for people who are going into the holidays that time of year like what advice would you give to somebody that's struggling with family members or a family member that they may have been alienated from because of political or whatever kind of divides yeah that is so hard so i i would go in and believe it or not i would go a different direction than most people would would expect. And that is, if you try to think about that person, you don't have control over that person. You don't have control whether whether that person's going to spout off about their political belief or, or how, or maybe there's tension between family members. And the only thing I have control over is myself. So what I really encourage and what I work with people on is like, okay, let's have a plan going into the holidays of how to regulate yourself. So, you know, if Uncle Bob starts going off about something that I know just fires me up, what are, what are my things that I know help regulate my body? I'm looking for things that shift my nervous system back to a regulated state. So I'll have things already in place like going for walks, right? Going for a walk. Be the one to volunteer to go get ice. I'm running to the store. Anybody want anything? So that you give yourself a way of pendulating out regulating your body and coming back in. If you know your family already keeps you charged the whole time, I, I have them do what's called a drip system. I'm, I'm, I'm putting a drip system in of things that will regulate my body, whether I need it or not. Whether that means I, I go into the back room and I take an, a nap or I go for a walk or I just put on, maybe just put on some music that I know really calms my body down. So I'll have them put in, in a drip system and I'll also have them do what's called front loading before they go in. Front loading is just a term that says, I already know I'm going into a stressful event right? And how do I just really get myself regulated, which means I'm taking deep breaths, or I'm really calming my body down before I go in, knowing it's going to activate me. And I make sure I have a time limit. If my family's really tough, I make sure like me and my partner were like, all right, we got two hours here, or we got three hours here so that my body knows, okay, it's limited and ends coming and ends coming. You got this two more hours, you got this. And that makes your body be able to manage it more than feeling like it's stuck in something that's flooding it. Where do we get like most of our issues from? Are they deep-seated things that we got in childhood or in our teenage years? Or do we like pick something up later on in life? Oh, that's such a great question. I really believe it's like a slot machine. And it's different for everybody. All of us have such customized, unique paths. But two people can have the same experience, grow up in the same house, have similar experiences, and and interact with it and have, have it react in their body in totally different ways because we're like a slot machine. Nobody has, it's your DNA mixed with your upbringing, mixed with your environment, mixed with your individual experiences. And so it's, everybody's going to react differently, which is why something may register in your body as traumatic, but not traumatic in my body. Everybody's different. 
But all of those, it's one of those things that it's as we accumulate different things through life, they're going to impact us. You could have a horrific accident in your 30s and that, that of course, that's going to impact you. So, But somebody may not have that, but have childhood trauma. But I think the one thing that is impartial to everybody is that life, there are hardships that come with life. Struggles are not an intrusion of life. They're part of life. And some people act offended, offended, like almost like life is like that's an assault on life. No, no. Struggles, hardship are not an assault on life. They're part of life. You know, and learning how to navigate those is our work. That's the way, kind of thing we talked about a little bit earlier. That's like the hard thing. It's like, right, like, is this a problem or is this a natural struggle of being alive? Because life is kind of supposed to suck, right? <laughs> like me and the other co-host of this channel, we talk about like 90% of life kind of sucks. You're just doing the same stuff and it's supposed to be hard and you're supposed to fail over and over and over again. But like, when do you know, like, you know what? I, this isn't right. Mm. Like, I should probably get some help. See, and I, I like that, that feisty, like Greek part of me wants to push back and be like, no, like, no, like, no, 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 no. Life has its hardships and life has its struggles. But, but I will, I like, well, I, I, so I will fight until I have a life that is like calm and pleasant and joyful. What is the actual goal we're going for? I always tell people, imagine like a jar, imagine a jar. What we think life's going to be is like food coloring, where the whole jar is either blue and sucks, or the whole jar, we put a drop of food coloring, a pink, and we want this, we think life's supposed to be all rose colored, and it's not like that. Instead, imagine a jar, and you're going to have your hardships. Those are little blue balloons that are filled up. Our goal is to say, how do I find little balloons to put in my jar of things that are calm, pleasant, joyful? silly to offset it so that when I look at the jar, I can see the blue, but overall I see pink bringing in what's going on in our bodies. Our bodies are wired to, for threat. Our bodies are wired to, to, to default to threat, to put out flowers or to put out fires. This is one I love saying our bodies are wired, are wired to put out fires, not to plant flowers, but where we need to go is we need to work. How do I intentionally build in things that are calm, pleasant, joyful to offset the hard things in life. And that's when life starts to feel like really good, really good. Not perfect. Hard balloons are there, but I've worked on building in these things, snacks and meals, little things that are calm and pleasant to start to change the way life feels. Um, okay. These are some of the more controversial questions, I guess. Okay, I- do people really not know what their issue is or do they secretly know what it is and they just don't do anything about it? Mm. Mm. You know, what I, oh, you know, why I love that question is because there, there'll be people that come in who, who will be like, oh, yeah, I need to work on this or the spouse is bringing them in. And, and I will say, wait, wait do, do you want this to change? Like, do, do you want it to change? Because just because you know you have something doesn't mean you necessarily want to get rid of it or want it to change because there's a, you may lose something. So I don't know if this is answering your question directly, but that is one of the things I always stop to make sure Right. The other thing I also make sure when I'm working with a couple, the first I start is, well, do, do you guys want to work on this? Do, do you want do you want to be together? Because just because you assume someone's aware of something doesn't mean necessarily that they're they want it to change or they want a marriage to work. So you got you got to start with asking them and, and also kind of getting down to, well, if you did change or did things things got better, would we lose anything? Is there anything that would we would lose or there'd be a cost? I like this question. This person just says, am I the problem? 
And I think what they mean essentially is ultimately depending, no matter what happens around people's lives. And we're not talking about like extenuating, extenuating circumstances, but in general people's lives, are they usually ultimately the cause of the things that are happening to them? You know, I would say that's a combination. Sometimes we are the cause. Sometimes life happens to us and it has nothing to do with us. But when I look at, when I look at that, what I hear, even in the question itself, am I the problem? Because our body wants to find blame. If either you need to be the problem or I need to be the problem because somebody has to be the problem. Why does somebody need to be the problem? Because if I can point to where the problem is, then somebody needs to fix it. That's our brain's ability. What our brain is trying to do is say, I don't want to be hurt anymore. So I have to be able to identify who's to blame here so I can point to who needs to fix it. Right. As opposed to, and so I really shift our mentality to say, oh, wait, I don't think it's that black and white. Until we take our last breath, we are under construction and you have an invitation to work on yourself. How I see my life is fully up to me. How, how I, my, my perspective, one of the biggest things I've noticed with clients, they come in hoping for a lot of changes. And yes, external changes may happen, but the biggest changes happens in their life is when they shift their perspective, how they see their own life. So when it comes to you, how you see your own life, yes, that's fully your responsibility. How the, your invitation to grow, yes, that's up to you. That you are in control of, that you can work on, that you can grow. Some things, though, are out of our control, and they just happen, and, and that's part of life as well. Who's more to blame for relationships, men or women? <laughs> who's, who's the problem? Okay. Give me the honest answer. Uh, who's the problem? Uh, uh, you know what? If, if, you know, it's, it's, this is actually a big theme, and people that watch a lot of my TikTok videos know because I cannot stand the all men or all women. And so I think the minute we try to point a finger on men or a long finger on women, we actually, again, there's that blame again I was just talking about. It's either you're the problem or I'm the problem. So who are we pointing the finger at, the men or the women? And in actuality, I would say we have to leave it individual. We have to give them names. There's some great guys and there's some and there's some not so great guys. There's some great girls and there are some not so great girls. But the minute we start to lump everybody together, it's too easy to start to have hate and bitterness and blame. And by the way, even if I were to say men are the problem, that all that does is it prevents women from actually looking themselves and growing and seeing how they can grow in a relationship or vice versa. If I were to say, oh, these new age women, it's these, it's these women. Then all the men are like, oh, okay, good. There's the problem right there. And all of a sudden, what does that do? It takes the eyes off yourself and it takes off yourself and say, oh, where can I grow in relationship? What do I need to still work on? So the answer I would say is see none of the above. I get, I get fired up about that too. When I see those TikTok videos and videos, it's like all men suck, all women suck. It's like, no, it's probably just the people you're around with. Yes, like, There's exactly. lots of good people. There's and plenty I like of good take, people. Exactly. And then I like to take it. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. Now that you've determined that now, now what? And now what, does that make our odds of dating one better? Like where, where do we go from there? Cause all that does is get us stuck in our own bitterness. And I'm all, I always say to, I, I think people are looking for a placeholder for their anger and it has more to do with them being hurt. And so I have a tendency to turn to the people that are so angry and bitter and say, I, I'm so sorry for what you were hurt. I'm so sorry. Whoever hurt you, that got you to a place that you hate them that much. Cause that's the real issue. This one's a little bit, this one's a little bit more lighthearted, but after listening to people's problems all day, how can you stand people? <laughs> you know, um, 
if anything, I'm, I'm a true extrovert and that it really energizes me. And I love that every hour is different. I think, I think if anything, it makes me love people even more. I mean, I just look at us as human beings, myself included. And I'm like, God bless us. Look at us go. I mean, look at us trying to figure out this shit show of a life sometimes. I mean, if anything, it just makes me, I think, love people even more. But I can tell you, you know, the, the way that I, the way that I fill my own tank after working all day is I will grab a glass of wine and watch like Bachelor in Paradise or some no brainer TV, like nothing that has to do. I mean, you find me the trashiest TV show and that is usually what I'm watching in order to refill my tank. <laughs> Kissing booth, <laughs> Teen- teenage I, movies. <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this one or not, but most interesting case you've ever had. No, I actually have permission to share this story because um, she actually started sharing this story publicly. Um, Hardest case and the most endearing to me, probably not interesting, but the most endearing was a mom who lost her seven-year-old child. And I don't think, I don't think you're ever the same after that. And I think to walk with her and watch these little, little pockets of healing with her, um, if anything, it just felt like I almost wanted to thank her for letting me be in the room just to watch her heal and something to me that just was so um, life-changing um, and watch her heart grow and heal and that collateral beauty that comes out of it. It's, it's, it's never, you never ask for suffering, um, but the redemptive value or things that come out of it that otherwise wouldn't have and watching a, a book come out of it, a book deal and watching her speaking and that, that came out of that and her beautiful heart um, that, that was, that was a journey. So. I feel like we should end on a happier question, uh, <laughs> but that's no, there's for people maybe who don't have children and, and listening to this, like there is no pain or worry like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And if that's yeah. not a road that you decide to go down or one that you're blessed with, like mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. yeah. I can Okay, if we want to land on a little lighter note too, I can't tell you probably the most fun situation I got got to work with. That was very All right. Fun. So, um, uh, I get an opportunity for every now and then to work with somebody in the industry, and I had somebody that reached out. Not didn't necessarily want to see me for therapy, um, but it was just very short term. But uh, they had gotten a role on a, a very a, a primetime television show, and they needed to be a teenager that was extreme, like a mean, mean girl. And she couldn't access a mean girl because she wasn't a mean girl. And my job was actually to do her psychological work to get her into a place where she'd had hurt or pain as in a childhood, which she hadn't had, to get her to be this like kind of mean girl. And then also to make sure I could get her out of it. So I actually was doing the opposite of what I do in therapy is how do we get you to a place where you're acting out and latching out and doing everything you shouldn't be doing. And then how do I make sure we can get you back to where you used to be? So that was actually, that was kind of fun. That was very interesting. So you can help people and fuck them up. That's a good, (laughs) I I found a new tool I have. (laughs) I want to thank Lisa so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, And we have also included her information in the episode description. If you feel like you or someone you know needs help, don't hesitate to reach out. I can tell you that therapy has made a profound difference in the lives of people that I know. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. I have two questions for you. One, 
have you ever considered going to therapy or felt like you needed to go get therapy? And two, would you rather be an elf or a reindeer? <laughs> wow. Both, wow. Both those questions are great questions. Uh, I, I have, I, I have thought about it and I will be practicing soon actually, um, for some personal things, um, that I, I care not to share. All, all I will say is that it took me to my mid thirties to, to realize that, uh, you know, I, I was never going to get help by just not seeking help, if that makes any sense. So when did you realize that like, Oh, I should actually go do something. Uh, probably when it, when you, when it starts to, for me, it's when the people around me, uh, start to notice like my wife and, and well, really just my wife. So are you sure you don't want to tell us what you're going to therapy for? Yeah, no, no. I prefer to leave that out, but I will say this, that, um, though I haven't necessarily, uh, been to a full session yet. Um, I've done some, some meet and greets and things, uh, in some sessions, but I, I'm fully in support of it. And I was a person, and I'm probably going to sound pretty ignorant, uh, that never thought uh, being a therapist carried much weight. Because I always felt uh, that I could figure it out on my own, maybe have a beer, <laughs> you know, take an edible, something like that, something to relax my brain. Uh, but man, talking about it to a complete stranger who is just, even though they're making money, but they're there to listen and, and try to help you out with things. I'm I'm all for it. So please, if you're thinking about it, uh, you know, and you have the means to do so, might be worth it. Did you feel pressure like you shouldn't have to be doing this? Like you got to be a man and just suck it up. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, I think we were raised with a with a mentality of, you know, uh, oh, you have something bothering you. Well go lift some weights and it'll take care of itself, you know, or go to the bar and have a beer and it'll take care of itself. When in actuality, most things that affect somebody that deeply uh, don't get taken care of, right. With a beer or hitting a punching bag. Some people it works, but I, I'm not one of those people, I guess, as I look back on things, have you thought about, you don't, you don't go, I presume. No, but I know some people very close to me that have recently gone, and it seems to have done a lot for them. So I'm all for it. I think it's a great thing that you're doing. Yeah, I I, I, I applaud your courage to finally admit <laughs> that your struggles with having a small penis. <laughs> That's really all it is. Um, all right, well, good for you, and I, I hope it turns out well for yeah, you. Yeah, and like I, like I said, this is a serious note. If you're struggling, it, it, it's worth it, If, if uh, even if you're on the fence. So, uh, and anyways, getting to your, uh, your, your lighter question that I should have gotten to 10 minutes ago. Uh, I'd probably rather be a reindeer. I think, I think being a reindeer would be the better option because an elf seems like that's a lot of work with really not much benefit. I mean, what are, what are you putting in eight to 12 hour days, just doing the same thing the whole time, just making the same toy. I would assume that it's a full-time job and you're just, it's got to be like an assembly line. It probably being an elf would be a terrible existence. Being a reindeer might be pretty sweet. You're basically just working one day. You just got one big day <laughs> and everybody loves you. Like I know the names of a couple reindeer. Do you know the names of any elves? Just one. Buddy. But is he like an established elf? No. Or did they just make him up for that? Yeah, movie? they just made him up for that movie. 
it, it's basically just Santa, Mrs. Claus, and then the reindeer. See, I I would put the reindeer above Mrs. Claus. What what does she really bring to the table? Well, she's there. Listen, every wife always supports the husband, right? Like that's always a two-way street. One person may get all the credit, but like Santa Claus isn't doing anything without Mrs. Claus because she's probably like he keeps the operation going, but she keeps him going. It's a two-way street, right? It's like pregnancy. The guy's not really doing any of the work, but he's supposed to ideally be there taking care of the woman. Yeah, I I, I failed at that multiple times. I don't know how you did, but... All right, you ready to move yeah, on? Yeah, let's, uh, let's give some shout-outs here, shall we? Chris Kreiner, uh, Rodney Caldera, Anil Mehta, Tony Magno, Matthew Terry, Mio Monet, Aurora Johansson, Elza Ratnapradipa, Rennie Gibbons, and Richard Knast. Appreciate all of you. And, yes, I know what you're going to say. I put uh, Elza on here because I like to give myself a challenge. So I'm sure I butchered it, but maybe, just maybe, I got it, it right. It's just amazing your ability to pronounce every single name as if you've never heard it before. <laughs> no matter how common it is, it's like you've never heard it. Like Joe <laughs> Smith, <laughs> Chris Tyler. <laughs> All right, I got a couple of bangers for you. All right, the first <laughs> uh, the first one here. Uh, what do you think you're more likely to do? Walk across or walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, or go over the falls in a barrel? Like I have a close attachment to Niagara Falls because that's where my grandparents grew up, and people who go over in a barrel, man, like it's ooh. If you've never actually seen it, like oh, you ain't surviving that. I. Like you're not coming back from that. I would have, if I had never tightrope before in my life and had a choice between tightroping across Niagara Falls or going over Niagara Falls in a barrel, I would try to tightrope across the falls first because the barrel is you're done. There's no chance. At least I might be able to like tightrope across. I I would venture you would probably fall. You might be able to to you know, uh, well, what is that? Shimmy your way across if you're holding on to the rope that way yeah you could right it's kind of like do you want to have a hundred percent chance of dying or a 99 percent <laughs> chance of dying but yeah there there has been i think there's only been two people that have ever walked across it like they probably make sure that nobody's going to screw this up if you're tight roping it because they don't want to have like headlines guy dies tight roping across niagara falls and then the Niagara Falls Park official is quoted like, well, we thought he could do it. <laughs> I, <laughs> right? Like, that's not going to happen. I, I, I always wanted to do that. I obviously have the body type that I would fall over with the first gust of wind. Um, but tightroping just seems exhilarating to me. Hmm. More than other things. But would you go skydiving? I would, but like, I have no interest in skydiving. I really don't. I don't, I, I don't think it is. Uh, and I've never been. So this is me throwing this out there blindly but to me i don't think it would be worth it for me if i'm going to do something exotic and fun i just don't think skydiving is the, would, would be my first second or, or third choice you'd rather go tight roping than skydiving sure. i my number one if you're wondering because i know you're wondering is uh, i i would rather i would love to go white water rafting but i mean white water rafting you don't even have to be really that dangerous you could probably do that in the river beside your house <laughs> 
mean, you could you could go right you could go after that we record this you could go right now Hold on, let me get my wife maybe maybe i'll just River. have her put some some water in the bathtub and i'll just go in there in a submersible and just <laughs> that's all you need man it's not like i've been whitewater rafting like you can accidentally kind of do it like oh that's a little dangerous well ironically i know somebody who's been killed whitewater rafting jesus too. Yeah, I know a lot of people who've been killed doing stuff. It's kind of weird when you think about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. What uh, What's the most, um, I don't know, exotic's not the right word. What's like the most obscure way someone's died that you know? Oh, I know somebody. This is kind of bad timing, and we don't mean to make light about what's happened in Kentucky, but probably the most obscure way is I have a classmate that was killed in a tornado. He was like pulled out of his house by a tornado and killed. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. That's probably the most obscure way that I know of that somebody has died. How about you? I know somebody who got paralyzed from, uh, we actually were talking about this last week. I asked you the question, uh, but running with the bulls, they got kicked right in the spine and are, are, are quadriplegic. That's, they're not dead, but I mean, their, their quality of life isn't very good. Um, Kicked by the bull, I'm assuming, not another person. I know, yeah, definitely the bull. <laughs> that would suck if it was actually another oh, person. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, how did it happen? I was kicked while running from the bulls. The bull <laughs> got you. Like, no, it was another person who kicked me in the back. <laughs> I, would... I do have one obscure story because my dad used to be a family physician, and he had a patient who will remain nameless, obviously, for health reasons. But he had a patient that had some kind of like toxic reaction to something and nobody could figure out like, well, what were you doing? Like, where did you get this poison from? And it, they finally figured it out that the guy was an avid golfer and he had a habit of touching his tongue to the golf ball before he would hit it. <laughs> and over time, he was such an avid golfer that he basically was ingesting all the fertilizer that they put on the golf course. And that's how he ended up getting sick. Wow. That is, that, now that is an obscure story. That's a crazy story, isn't wow, it? I mean, what? <laughs> God, I'm going to sound like such an asshole. Like when you say like lick it, was he like, I mean, was he like going to town? I mean, unclear. <sighs> Un <laughs> you. Okay. The way that it was described to me was he was just like touching his tongue to it, but come on. <laughs> Like, really? I mean. And my dad used the word, like, he would lick it. So I'm pretty sure that maybe he wasn't going, like, full tongue on the ball. <laughs> but he was putting a good amount of his tongue on the ball and really licking it and licking the ball a lot. There was a lot of ball licking with that guy, if you get what I'm saying, right? Now, I don't know how down the ball or how much of the ball he put in his mouth, but there was a good amount of ball licking that was happening with this guy. Talking about only the golf course, I don't know what you're laughing about, quite frankly. This is a serious situation. There's, there's, I mean, there's so many emotions and thoughts I just had when listening to your whole rant there. Like, I, <laughs> I hope this per could you imagine being in the hospital? Like, hey, honey, what'd you get? How'd you end up here? Well, it turns out I was licking balls too much. <laughs> what the golf ball? I just wonder, like, uh, one of the things I wonder about this is maybe he liked the taste. I bet that this is what I'm. What I'm assuming is is that he was a pretty serious golfer, not just somebody who liked to do it a lot, but he really he somehow got superstitious about it, and like this was his thing. 
And this is what helped him score the best and like got him into the mental mindset was just licking golf balls. <laughs> and that's how he somehow ended up in this. Like that's got to be what it is, right? Like he would have to be some kind of superstitious thing. We're like, I got to do this before I do it. Could you imagine doing that in front of your friends? Like you're playing golf with three other dudes and they're just watching you like lick the golf ball. <laughs> You'd have to do it in secret because otherwise – Otherwise, he should have been ridiculed into off the tee box. I mean, if, if he's that good of a golfer and that's his thing, then okay. I mean, whatever. I'm, who am I to judge? I mean, if he's that good. But I'm just like, I, like how many licks? Do, I mean, to get that sick from doing that, he must have been putting a lot of balls in I his mean, mouth. Multiple, honestly. He must have had multiple balls in his mouth all of the time. But if you think about it, right, let's say you're a good golfer. That's 72 times at the minimum, probably, for a guy who's not a professional. 72 times you're licking balls. <laughs> you, lick, you lick balls 72 times a day. And then if you played, like, multiple holes, mm -hmm. that's 144 balls that you've licked. And if you play a bunch of times a week, like, that math adds up <laughs> fast. Okay. And it probably doesn't take a lot of poison. Can we just move? So we just move on. Yeah, are we done with that one? Yeah. Okay. Let's... <laughs> oh man! You'd think that if he put that much, like you'd think that if he was that superstitious, not only would he lick the balls, but he'd stroke the shaft <laughs> of the golf club. <laughs> Next question. Uh, yeah, right, it's that easy. Um, oh. <laughs> I mean, do you think he stopped at the shaft? Do you think he went all the way to the rubber handle? Think he? I would think that he took the whole thing. <laughs> So uh, say you're working at a drive-thru and you get an unruly person that comes to the drive-thru. They're going to either hit you, they're going to fire shots near you, or they're going to threaten you with some kind of weapon, a sharp weapon. We'll say a knife. Okay. What? Are you going to take the punch? Are you going to risk the threat? Are you going to risk <laughs> the, the gunshots? kind of question is this first of all is this some sort of factual basis because honestly like what do you want to do you want to get punched in the face or shot i was well i'd rather be punched in the face that's a pretty easy question like you want to be punched in the face stabbed well shot. no it, it all stems from apparently there was a, a it's been happening several times in, in this lovely country of ours uh the la latest one this weekend at a, at a arby's i think where some, of course, it's a fucking. Some movie. woman was upset uh, that her order was taking too long, so she fired like six shots into the drive-through window. Uh, didn't hit anybody, um, but I just got to thinking, like you know, uh, we give all this credit to all these workers, you know, all like the. And it's much deserved, first off, to the hospital workers and the truck driver, blah blah blah. But man, if I'm a fast food worker and someone even like starts giving me shit. I don't know how I would re respond, which is why I'm in therapy. I wouldn't. I certainly like, look, if that happened, I would be asking for some kind of like paid time off <laughs> if that happened to me. But people get frustrated, man. They lose their. And whenever I feel like whenever you're really mad about something, it's the little thing that's really going to just set you off. Man. Right. Yeah. Like your significant other has been cheating on you. Your boss promised you a raise and it didn't come through. You lost $1,000 or however much money gambling. And it's just going to be the misread order at the drive-thru that just, that's, that's it. 
that's it. It's the little thing that's just going to set people off. Speaking of, I got to tell you the story now. Speaking of people who were set off. Okay. Uh, this past weekend, we went and visited my mother-in-law in the lovely city of Cleveland. And as we're coming back, you know, we're on the highway going, I don't know, 70, 75, whatever. Traffic's not bad. It's congested, but it's still moving. This uh, pickup truck, like an old school pickup truck that all the windows are blacked out. And I, the muffler is gone, I presume, because it sounded like a freaking train. Comes right up on my back end. Now, mind you, I'm with my family, my, my wife and my two daughters. So I, I start to kind of like slow down a little bit, seeing what the problem is. Maybe they, and you know, and if you listen to this podcast, you know my, my stress is about driving in the first place, right? John is a nervous driver. So, uh, but I found myself in a weird position, right? So I slow down. He, it looked like a he, so I'll call him a he. Speeds up next to me, starts swearing at me, like with the windows up, but I can tell he's angry. I don't know what's going on. So, like, I, uh, you would have been proud of this. I start edging him, like, we're in the middle lane and he's in the right lane. So, like, I start to go into his lane. <laughs> my wife starts freaking out, you know, obviously, because I have my kids. Hey, yeah, for, dude, because you got your kids, and fucking this guy probably, there's a 100,000% chance that he has a firearm well, in his Well, car. for a half second, that's where you would have been proud of me. The, the the rest of the time, I you know, it pops in my brain like, oh, shit, my family's in the car, blah, blah, blah. So I get back over the middle lane. He gets right up, like, literally, I, I swear he hit my car, but but he didn't. Uh, like, says something else. He's going crazy. We start to get into a, con- a congested zone on the highway. He takes off like up the embankment. <laughs> like, I swear to God, he got air and goes like through a chain link fence onto the service drive and disappears. Like, I have no idea what this person's issue was, but uh, it kind of goes with your whole like, if someone's set off, you have no idea. Um, yeah, and that's. Was it lifted? Was the truck? Oh, lifted? it was. I mean, it was. Oh yeah. Okay, this is making a little bit more but, sense. What uh, what lane were you sitting? Well, okay, a couple of questions for you to see if you're how see exactly how you are to blame for this situation. <laughs> not if I'm sure in some way you did, did something. Not do anything. However minor, were you camped in the left lane at all? I was not. I was in the middle lane the entire time, and I probably what started it was is I was just going with the traffic, but the left lane was going slower than the middle lane. But I don't remember. I like I looked up in my mirror because I heard the truck, and he was behind me. Like I didn't see him where he came from. So you cut him off. So you cut him. No, off. I not. And even if sounds like even if I had cut you off, you think like my baby on board sticker would be enough to maybe deter you from being an asshole? Like I I was on I seventy five at seven mile. I mean that's a very at like four thirty in the afternoon. Oh, here we go. No, I'm just saying it's here it's we a very, go, Mister Detroit. It's a very was Eminem next oh my to you? God. Who was next to you? Eminem or Kid Rock? Well, Kid Rock's a douchebag. So, uh, yeah, you know, Kid Rock is a douchebag. Mine, and by the way, I say that uh, not not even including his political beliefs. So, don't think I'm calling him a douchebag for his political beliefs. I've always thought he's a douchebag because he's always been from Detroit, but the motherfucker grew up forty miles from the city limits. Mm. <laughs> don't even go with what you're There's going. A lot there. Of- I know what you're thinking. No, I I have I I would say that Detroit probably has more people posing as actual Detroit natives than any other city. I bet there's more people who pretend to be from Detroit when they are actually from the suburbs than any other major city. Hmm. I, that's 
maybe Atlanta. That's a great. I mean, that's a, that's actually a really good question to think about. I, I, I mean, maybe L.A. because L.A. is so massive. Yeah, but if you're from a nicer area, like if you're from Beverly Hills, you're not going to claim that you're from L.A. Yeah. If you're from any of the nicer areas, you're not going to claim that you're from it. Yeah, that's a uh, man. Look at you bringing the philosophical questions. I'm telling you, man. I bet there's there. Detroit has more posers than any other major U.S. city. I would say. Uh, okay. Are you ready for our top five? I am. I'm kind of excited about it. Me too. Me oh, too. Boy. All right. So our top five is top five Christmas characters, not including Santa Claus, because that's obviously an easy number one. But what's your number five? Uh, so we're gonna start off here. I'm gonna go with. Oh man, so many. I wrote down so many good ones. Um, I'm gonna go with George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life as my number five. Never seen that movie. Never had any interest in that movie. Doesn't even look like a good movie, in my opinion. <laughs> so my num- my number five is The Nutcracker. Just because this still makes me laugh. It's you, You'll probably have no idea of the origin or ever seen the play, but it just makes you laugh because it's called a Nutcracker. Don't know anything about it. All I know is it's got that hat and that jaw-looking thing, and it's called Nutcracker. <laughs> And every time I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) all right, my number four is uh, I'm going to go with Frosty. It's my number four. Ooh, I have the abominable snowman. Okay. I don't even, which I don't know if that's a Christmas character, but the abominable snowman seems like he has a, a better life than Frosty only because Frosty basically had a terrible death. (laughs) But man, everybody knows the song, right? I mean, everybody knows Frosty, the snowman. Yeah, but he basically burned to death. I mean, it's a terrible way to go. It's kind of sad if you think. He comes it. back. It's a terrible way to go. He comes back. Part Does two, he? yeah, part two, and hell, there's probably three, four, five. But every time he burns to death. Well, yeah, because he's a snowman. Uh, what's your number three? Uh, man, like I said, I wrote down so many. I feel like I could interchange any of these. Uh, for my number three, I, I, I guess I'll go the Grinch. Okay. I have the Grinch at number two, but my number three is the Scrooge ghost, like the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. I always thought that they were more interesting than Scrooge himself. That's a good one, actually. My my number two is I have Rudolph. How are you going to have Rudolph at number two and the Grinch at number three? Oh, yeah, because my number one is you're going to hate it, but he's my personal favorite, so... (sighs) What's your number one? <laughs> For those of you who can't see this, Nick is just, he's ready to explode. I'm getting ready. I'm getting fucking angry right now. Uh, Clark Griswold. I don't mind Clark Griswold. But I I can honestly say this. I've never seen any of those movies. Oh, man. I mean, you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life. What are you watching during the holidays? Uh, plane, trains, and automobiles. <laughs> yeah, you have confessed your love for plane, trains, and automobile multiple times. It's the greatest holiday movie. It's the greatest holiday movie, and I don't think it's even close. Uh, it's top ten. I, it's it's not top five for me, but mm, it's it's not only it's the number one Thanksgiving movie by a long shot, and it's such a good Thanksgiving movie. It bleeds over into Christmas. <laughs> Like, it's so good. It's like the Taco Bell of fast food restaurants. It's so dominant of a number one that there shouldn't even be a number two. You just skip straight to number three. Uh, my number one is Rudolph. I mean, that, that's fine. That's a that's an easy one. That's a very conservative uh, number one. Yeah. 
What's in What's in your honorable mention? Uh, so I have Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Uh, w- uh, Willie Stoke. That's the uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character in Bad Santa. Okay. Uh, I put, <laughs> I autocorrect messed me up. It put John McCain, but it should have said John McClain from Die Hard. I'll take John McClain. That's in my honorable mention is John McClain. Uh, let's see here. What else? And then I have Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. Um, I always hated that movie. Yeah, I'm, but I mean, it's pretty iconic. And then uh, then I put uh, Turbo Man from Jingle All the Way. Oh, yeah. It's one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's underrated roles. It's Turbo Man. God, he's remembered. He's going to be remembered for so much. But during the holidays, that's by far, I mean... That's one of the movies that you go, oh, yeah, I know. I know of it. So what's in yours? Uh, the only only ones I have is Jack Frost. I got Little Drummer Boy. I mean, you could go with, like, the three wise men. Obviously, I was raised in a Catholic household, which that, did, that, didn't, that, that didn't stick. What's kind of uh, impressive to me was I thought there was going to be so many more to choose from. But when you actually look at all these, uh, you know, all the characters as a whole, it's literally everything that gets has gotten recycled for the last 60 years. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, please leave a review. It really does help us out. And let us know it's hard to beat, like, Rudolph, right? I mean, I, Clark Griswold is great and all, but he's not Rudolph. But let us know what you think are some of the best Christmas characters. Don't send in Santa Claus. Come on, you're better than that. Or, since John checks these, spam him with Santa Claus. Don't send in Santa Claus. Come on, you're better than that. Or, since John checks these, spam him with Santa Claus. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.